Hello, Sobertown listeners. My name is Michael, and it's my pleasure to be coming to you today on behalf of SobertownPodcast.com, your one-stop shop for sobriety. Please join me as we hop on this sober train and ride. My guest today is Johnny G. from South Carolina, USA. Johnny has been an active member of Sobertown and I Am Sober communities for a little over two years and has 372 days of consecutive sobriety today. He's here to share a bit of his recovery story to help inspire and support others. Johnny, thank you so much for your time. Wow, thank you for having me. This is honestly such an honor to be on here because this Sobertown podcast and the community has been such an instrumental part of my sobriety. It has been a, such a huge help. And what you and Drifter are doing is amazing. I feel like it's, it's going to be something that goes on for a long time and helps out so many people. So for me to be up here, little old me to be up here and tell my story, if, if it helps out anyone, it would be truly an honor and it would, it would feel great. It would mean a lot. Absolutely. I'm sure it will. You have a, a excellent recovery story. You're an active and contributory member of the community. I know you've already given a lot of support to a lot of people. So very valued, valued friend. So let's start off, just to give us a little backstory. So tell us a little bit about yourself, early life, family. What did that look like? So, yeah, I mean, my name is John, Johnny G, Johnny G123 on the app. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Grew up pretty normalish family, I guess. Mom and dad, typical stuff, having a bunch of family and friends over from time to time and throwing parties and get togethers at the time. And of course they were all drinking, but as a kid, you think that's normal. That's just the you know, adult stuff. And that's I'm sure a lot of us grew up in that atmosphere. And I had two younger brothers. We were always beating each other up and fighting and all that stuff and running around outside good old school childhood. And yeah, I mean, I grew up playing soccer. My dad was over the road truck driver, which I got to give it to him. He's one, he was a great dad. He was always, always showing up for all my games and almost every single practice, even though he was, big rigged and long haul and all, all across the country. He always made sure he made it, made it back. So kudos to him. And my mom was a very, very loving mom raising us three boys. And I do have an older sister. She's got some years on me. I should know her, her age. I think she, she's going to kill me. She, hopefully, hopefully she doesn't listen to this, but I think she's like mid forties, maybe 48. But anyway, mom raised us, us three boys with my dad being gone, sort of on her own, and we gave her plenty of headaches, I'm sure. She had a belt that was three inches thick that she would snap anytime we got gone on her nerves, but that didn't phase us at all. We, we would still terrorize her. But anyway, she was, she was a great mom. Very, very caring, very sweet. And uh, yeah, just the same old stuff. My parents actually split up when I was about 10 years old. And so by 11 or 12, I'm, I'm doing whatever I want, running the streets. I thought I was a cool guy. I thought I was a little pimp wearing a flip collar, a gold chain, and I had a beeper at like 12 years old, smoking Marlboro Reds, stealing cigarettes from the gas station, thinking I'm the I'm the hot shit. <laughs> and got into smoking weed at probably about 14 or 15 years old. And once once unlocked Pandora's box on that and how how it made everything hilarious at the time and you're goofy as shit. Next thing I know, I was waking and baking and and buying weed in middle school and smoking weed all the time for for numerous years and then you know as as I got older the and with the smoking of weed the the soccer turned into a hacky sack as I got older into my later teens like I, I think I tried alcohol I tried vodka the first time 
when I was 16 and got pretty drunk, didn't throw up, thought it was kind of, kind of fun. Didn't think much of it by then, but, uh, by, by about 18 years old, you got a, you got a solid group of friends. Everyone's starting to party. So yeah, the drink, more drinking commence. You're out there going to woods parties back then we had woods parties. I don't know if anyone still does that now, but back in my day, that's all we had to do. Cause there wasn't, wasn't much. It was either woods parties or downtown parties and which got raided by cops and doing keggers and all that. So yeah. And, and it just looking back now that really helped me deal with my social anxiety. Cause I didn't really, when you're young, especially it's kind of awkward. You go through those awkward stages and you know, you're trying to figure it all out. So you, that's the thing to do. And you're pounding beers and you're getting the spins of death where you're sleeping with one foot on, on the ground or you're sleeping, hugging the toilet, all that kind of stuff. Plenty of nights like that. No, that's excellent. I My story is very similar. When I, I started drinking in my early teenage years, and a lot of it also had to do with social anxieties and feeling I felt like an outcast. And I felt like I never really found where I belonged until I started to connect with these other people who drank and go into the parties and suddenly found some liquid-fueled courage and confidence and became this person that I had wanted to be. And so I feel like early on in my life, in my drinking career, it was a bit of, it was like self-affirming. So there was this positive feedback from the alcohol cycle early on before addiction hit. At what age do you think you really started to feel like you were kind of struggling with addiction or that was starting to crop up? Well, let's, let's kind of play the tape back a little bit and keep going with how it built up. So I went from, from the early, early twenties into the mid twenties with that same tight group of friends, which we were kind of going through the hippie phase where or smoking weed all the time, play, playing African drums, which we got really good at the damn gym bays and all that stuff, which that was a really fun time. So we're going to drum circles and then we start going to music festivals and then we're doing all the all the music festival drugs. So we're taking mushrooms. There used to be a cow field out here in, in Mount Pleasant. We were the mushroom farmers of Mount Pleasant. I got busted like twice. There's a long story that goes into that. But uh, so we we're making mushroom tea like every day, one summer, and we're going to music festivals, Bonnaroo, widespread panic concerts. So you're doing the mushrooms and the acids and the MDMAs, Molly ecstasy, all that stuff. And it was really good time. But also there was some looking back, there was like some really like not not good times as well. But all in all, it wasn't something you were addicted to really, or we were. We were just addicted to having fun, if if anything. It's not like we were trying to get molly or acid every day and we had to go get it or anything but but yeah so went through that phase and also growing up i was kind of an introvert i mean i, I was social like i had i made friends wherever I, I went i was pretty happy go lucky guy but i was also a big nerd like i was a big pc gamer so there's a lot of times where i'd just be chilling by myself and i was happy as shit i had a lot of online friends and we would play all kinds of games and we'd have fun lots of good laughs and it was clean fun too you you weren't getting fucked up and playing on a computer game so yeah, and then after the whole hippie phase or whatever, I kind of got into the, you know, no drinking, no drugging, no nothing, just the work gym phase. I became a gym rat. And uh, yeah, I was I was straight clean living and just just doing my thing for a little while. And then late, late 20s where the drinking picked back up. And then I started working for the bike taxi company downtown. And I was still pretty, pretty hard putting on weight. And the, and the guy at the nutrition shop was like, like hey, man, you want to put on weight? Take this. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know anything. And he fucking, he, he's selling me pro hormones, which if anyone 
don't know what pro hormones is. It's basically anabolic steroids in a pill form, but I didn't know what the hell I trusted him and he sold it right to me. That's when it, it was legal to sell. So next thing I know I'm, I'm lifting, I'm putting on like 30 pounds of muscle in like no time. So anyway, back to, you know, bike taxi years, I'm still working out, doing all that stuff. And I started bike taxiing and still drinking. And one day I'm hungover and I got to work a Sunday double shift and I'm, I'm feeling like hell. And this, uh, this girl I was friends with gives me, I think one 10 milligram Adderall, probably the lowest dose you can get. And she's like, I've never taken it before. She's like, yeah, this will help you out. Just take half. And so I'm out there, I take half and oh my God, it was like, I just hit the limitless button of, of what the fuck, let's go, baby. And I'm busting out this, this Sunday double bike taxi and two, three people on the bike taxi going full speed, keeping up full conversation, not even getting phased. No problem whatsoever. I, I crush out like $800 on a Sunday. The owner's like, holy shit, this guy's this guy's the man. Let's give him the best shifts. And so that that escalates to more and more because once you get used to that stuff, the euphoria, the energy, the focus starts to wear off. So you take more and then you're drinking more to go to sleep. And that actually kept going into my UPS days. I was delivering FedEx off and on for many years. And then I've gotten to delivering UPS. And anyone who's driven for UPS ground knows it's very, very high demand, and especially being the low man on the on the totem pole. So yeah, I'm taking my Adderall and buying it from friends going through a freaking man, I took so much. I swear, I don't even know how I'm alive, like enough to kill a freaking rhino, like a script and a whole script in like less than a week. Yeah. And just steady popping them like Pez pills all day, every day and drinking to go to sleep, maybe getting a few hours and popping more to get going in the morning. And you're sitting there and work in the middle of summer and it's hot as shit. And I'm you know, working out on my lunch break, taking pre-workout and Adderall to work out. And then I'm freaking going to deliver the rest of my route, running down the street, <laughs> like literally running, throwing packages like a maniac. I was like, yeah, I was running on freaking 20 cylinders when I only had eight. You can't run like that forever. So anyway, eventually that starts getting to the point where, you know, the good effects don't really last anymore. And you're, you're more cracked out than anything i mean you, you might get a little bit of euphoria focus and energy from it but then it's just cracked out wired energy and some nights you don't even sleep you're running on like two days of like no sleep and you go into work and one of your co-workers is like oh my god look at his eyes i probably look like a crazy man <laughs> and yeah i mean that that just was not heading anywhere anywhere good like you're starting to see the misery kind of start to catch up. And I think any of us who have struggled with addiction can probably somewhat pinpoint that point where we're we're still chasing that initial high. You remember that first time and we know we could never get back to that first time again. How long do you think it kind of went through this uncontrollable sort of feeling time? Well, you know, that, that kind of, it kind of snowballed up and down a little bit because you, like you would go th- through it for a few days or weeks or whatever and then you would kind of get some good rest and take take a break from it and as the years went on it just kind of became worse and worse and um, ended up quitting ups because i just had enough of it and it wasn't it wasn't bad there for a little while up until around where my mom passed which was about four or five years ago well i was actually i was still working for ups at the time when her health started to really deteriorate she had type 1 diabetes and other complications that went along with it so i quit ups and then i was back working for fedex and and then her health just kept getting worse and worse and yeah and, and then i was trying to 
I was trying to be there for her as much as I could, but also keep my job and keep working. And, and then she went to hospice and yeah, I just, I don't know. It was tough. It was a really, really tough time. And I think I was really numbing out to deal with the emotions. I was disassociating and it was, it was tough. It was, I don't even, I don't even know what to say about it. So yeah, right around that time, my mom ended up passing and a girl I was dating at the time we broke up. So the two women I cared about most of my life just kind of left my life and it was kind of a double whammy on that part after that it really started to progress with the drugs and alcohol and all that stuff mainly just adderall i got really hooked on adderall really bad i mean it 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 was just it was just nuts so that that went on for a little while and i managed and then a few years ago about i think it's three years ago now right around the same time my brother actually died from drinking and driving and he might have been doing some coke at the same time too and then my my best friend, who is also getting sober with me, he was he he went back to his his F and B job. He was doing good with me for a while, and then he went back to his F and B job because he couldn't find any work. And that wasn't long before he started drinking again, and alcohol took him out too. I think something can't remember what it was, a Penix or or something, it uh, ruptured in his stomach, and he just dropped. So it was really tough. Let me bring you back a little bit because when I was you know, going being addicted to Adderall is is pretty it's pretty rough once you're once you're hooked on it because when you stop taking it you're so lethargic you can't get out of bed it's, it takes everything you have in in your in your tank to just get out in bed and go and I'm I'm sitting there, sitting there having to deliver a route and it's just horrible so I go to my Adderall guy but a buddy of mine and he's like oh well I don't have any Adderall but you know why don't you try this it's only one mo- molecule different than Adderall and. Yeah, it was freaking meth, methamphetamines. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Let me try that. So, yeah, so I do a line of that, and next thing I know, I'm doing freaking meth off and on for six months or so. Not not all the time, but enough to where I'd be up for two or three days trying to deliver a FedEx route and probably had my regulars looking at me like I was some crazy-ass crackhead. And that's growing up and my earlier years, that was a line I thought I would never, ever cross. You know, the the, hip, the hippie, the festival drugs, you know, that's one thing. That's mostly just having fun. But, you you know, growing up, you think, oh, yeah, crack. Oh, yeah, heroin. Oh, yeah, meth. I would never do something like that. That's that's just way too much. That's crossing the damn line. And then next thing, one day, you're like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm actually fucking doing meth. I can't fucking. The fuck happened? Like, how did I get here? How did this happen to me? When did know? I step over what? that line? I remember right. Right, that 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 impenetrable line that uh, all of a sudden I'm just like, oh yeah, dude, that totally makes sense, man. Let's let's do a line of that. We'll see how that goes. So yeah, that was that was an interesting six months, and I think being on that stuff, being on the Adderall, I could drink like in a insane amount. Being on the methamphetamine, I could drink. It didn't stop. Like it was crazy, and that I think that really really progressed right around when when my brother and my my best friend passed. That really just pushed it into nitro mode. I went from a problem drinker to um, I'm waking up. First thing I need is to go get alcohol because I got anxiety and panic attacks like crazy. And I didn't even know what was happening to me at the time. I didn't even realize what the anxiety was stemming from. I'm I'm just going through the motions and, and on the hamster wheel. And I've grown up, like you've heard of alcoholics and you you picture the the homeless people in the street with the car, the liquor bottle and the car paper bag and 
pushing a buggy cart or something and you've heard of withdrawal you just think rehab or interventions but you don't really know anything about it you don't know the signs and you definitely don't know you're you're there so so yeah that went on for a while especially during covid getting all this free money from the government to stay home so we're drinking all day every day playing freaking fifa on the playstation um going to getting mexican and and having the best time that we could have at the time what else are you going to do? So yeah, I guess the year after COVID, I think it was 2021 that the drinking got so bad. And it was, it was to the point, like, like I said, no matter what time I would wake up, I didn't, I didn't have a car at the time because my car blew up and I would snag my brother's keys. I was living with him at the time and ride up to the gas station, get a 12 pack or something just to hold me over until the liquor stores opened up or, or the restaurants opened up to where I can go to the Mexican restaurant, get some margaritas, and then I would drink myself to sleep and rinse and repeat. And I kept going like that until one day. And I distinctly remember drinking two or three 32-ounce Miller High Lifes, and then I went to sleep. And then I woke up in a full panic mode, and it, it, it was getting scary. Like, my heart kept racing, kept racing, kept racing, and I... I felt like I was going to lose control of my own body. And then all of a sudden I got like, you know, demons like talking to me, putting mental images of trying to get me to kill myself, which is something I would never do. But I was so worried I was going to lose control of my body and, and it would react to one of these, these images or whatever the demons were telling me to do. So I got scared and I got my brother called 911 and I brought the medication. I was on out and it was basically antidepressants and something else. And they just kind of laughed and they're like, no, it's not from now. You're just, you're having an anxiety attack. So they said, just do circle breathing, circle box breathing. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'll go try that and went back in. That wasn't working. It kept getting worse and worse. And then I had to reach out to my aunt and she came and with her and my brother took me to Dorchester mental health. And they took my blood pressure, which was like 200 over something crazy you need to go to the hospital right now and it was it was so bad I, I could barely even walk out in public I was having a panic attack so bad and so they got me checked in the hospital and I remember they gave me the paperwork I go to fill it out and my hand shaking all over the place the pen is going crazy I, I actually laugh I was able to laugh I was like no Billy take this like get this away from me dude I can't do this so so they got me checked in and put me into the psych ward and it was full on, full on withdrawal, everything but seizures, hallucinations, light, light switches melting off the wall. I couldn't figure out how to get into the freaking bathroom because the bathroom doorknob looked like some crazy alien spaceship handle and I couldn't figure it out. So I gave up and then I got the courage to go back and I finally figured it out. And I, I man, oh my God, I can't. I can only imagine these people, the nurses and the people at the front counter just looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? I, I wish I had a freaking recording so I could watch myself and just bust out laughing. Cause I mean, at the time it, it's, it's the scariest fucking thing I would, I ever been through. And I don't, I don't recommend it on, on anyone at all. It is not fun, but man, I, I would definitely get a trip if I could just watch myself. But, uh, but yeah, so I went through the psych ward and, med med bay and i didn't know if it was night or day out i didn't sleep for like three or four days and they were finally able to get me to sleep taper me off with you know gave me some i guess some benzos or 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 whatever they give you in the in the hospital and and yeah sent me home and then the next freaking at least month i struggled every single night just to get 
maybe one or two hours of sleep. I mean, it, the insomnia and the anxiety, panic attacks were the absolute worst. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right here before, so I can let you let you talk. <laughs> no, this is excellent. Thank you. Okay. And, and the insomnia is a big one of mine as well. That's that's definitely something that I struggle with. And any more, because a bit of my story, the fact that I've I've relapsed numerous times. Anymore, if I do drink, even just a day or two, I will I will face two to three days of complete insomnia, of not being able to to sleep at all those nights. And it's I've spoken a little bit in some other platforms about the kindling effect, which is something that primarily hurts people who who have this pattern of drinking and stopping and drinking and stopping, where the body it recognizes those chemicals as they come back in. And it basically physiologically takes you right back to where you were when you were drinking previously. And people with the kindling effect are much more susceptible to things like seizures and ultimately death going through withdrawals. It's it's really kind of a terrifying thing. Society, we accept alcohol. Alcohol is the one drug that, and it's probably the most dangerous one that's that's out there. So I, I completely agree. And it's crazy. You bring up the kindling effect. I remember I got out of the hospital. I was on IAS, but I wasn't plugged. I haven't tried AA at that point or anything at the, yet, but I was, I was just staying sober. I was on, uh, I was doing antidepressants too. Not even sure if those were helping or, or anything yet, but I remember I was about four or five months in, and then I couldn't take the anxiety. I couldn't take it anymore. So I thought, all right, four or five months, I should be good. I went, to whatever bar middle of the day i got done running my route and it was it was middle of the day like one or two p.m whatever and there was one other guy there at the bar drinking next to me and i, I started drinking and literally those withdrawal effects even though they're not as severe as when i went through severe with alcohol withdrawal they came rushing right back like the the panic attacks the intense anxiety the blood pressure rising all that came rushing right back and and yeah it went straight back to the hamster wheel, straight back to binging, drinking all all day, every day. So I think at that point, I decided to get plugged in to give AA a shot, which I did for about five months or so. And I'm not, I'm not going to hate on AA or anything. I think it's a great program that works very well for, for many people. But I just like how everyone's wired differently. I don't think everyone, everyone's just different. So some things that do work for some people might not work for other people. And for me, it was, it just wasn't for me. So at that point I decided to say, all right, I got this. And so I basically white knuckled for the rest of that year. So I did about a year of that, which it was, it wasn't going too bad. I didn't feel great. I think I was still dealing with the anxiety pretty bad, but it was getting better, but I was just staying work focused. I was just working a lot and just putting all my focus into my work. So I was on my grind I was making good money. I was doing great. And then I ran into this, this scammer mechanic guy, which I was referred to through a friend. And he was using the church as a as a disguise of uh, being a good guy. Basically, he's a notorious scammer, we found out. So I took it to him for a, for a tune-up. And I, I think he might have actually done something to my engine. But anyway, a little shortly after the tune-up, my engine completely blows so at that time, I said, fuck it. It's been a year. I, I was with my cousin. I was like, let's go fucking drink. And we went and drank. And yeah, I think I moderated for three days. And then it was straight back to freaking drinking all day, every day. So anyone out there, there, there's your field research. No matter how long you stay away from it, it's always going to end up the same way. If, if you're 
if you're to that level, I mean, if they say, a lot of people say it's a spectrum. You can be a bad drinker or a problem drinker, but uh, once you become a full-blown alcoholic, once you pop that string, there's no tying it back. So no no matter how long you spend away from it, you're always going to end up at that same that same spot. Like you said, kindling effect definitely comes into effect there. So, so yeah, I spent the whole next year fighting with this mechanic guy, and he's he's telling me everything under the sun, and I'm giving him money after money after money. And then basically I had to go talk to his, his pastor and we had this whole intervention, whatever conference with him, the pastor's wife, his wife, like all these people, we pretty much had it out uh, right there. Ended up getting my money back. It took forever, but you don't get the time back. And so I, I was living off of debt, basically borrowing money. And I couldn't believe how how much money certain banks were giving me. It was insane how much money I, I was able to run up and I was I was doing crypto also to get by but basically I was stuck at home not working no car and drinking for an entire year uh miserable the depression was getting to me so bad I would never kill myself but I remember I was getting to the point where I wish something would happen to me like I wish something would take me out I was that low I hated my life at the time and it was the lowest I've ever felt and yeah, I mean, I can almost get emotional right now because it, it just, man, it brings me right back to there. So I've I finally uh, got plugged into not only IAS, the Zoom meetings, Sober Town and Sober Squad, and started showing up, which was a little little nerve wracking at first, but after a meeting or two, you feel pretty pretty comfortable. And man, that is such a lifesaver. I don't know what it is about having support and community and finding your quote unquote tribe. But that, that did it for me. Just, just being able to talk to people who have walked, walked the walk, been there before and can give you advice and give you hope. There's been numerous people that have been instrumental. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say any names, but yeah, just gave me a lot of hope when I thought the anxiety, the the depression, the insomnia was never going to end. Even four or five months into it, six months into it, I asked one or two of the guys that have some more time behind them. I was like, hey, did I permanently screw myself up? Like, is this the, is this my normal life now? And they're like, no. I mean, it took like a year for the anxiety to really start getting better and things to start really, really getting better. And in about month seven, month, month eight, it, it actually started improving a lot and showing up to the meetings and, and talking with what's going on or just listening and helping out other people who are struggling as well. Just talking, sharing your story. The crosstalk really helps. I don't know what it is about it, but it definitely, definitely helps. It, it just just makes you feel better having that connection. Cause when you're when you're stuck at home and you got basically no one, but you know, you know, my family's a huge support too. I have some good friends as well that that are very supportive, but it's just completely different when you have people that have, are dealing with the same stuff and just have your best interest at, at heart and just want to help you get through it too. And you form that bond and it, it really, it really feels good and it really helps. Fully agree. I think one of the most important things to me is having a tribe that is in recovery as well, because I also come from a supportive family. They support me in my recovery. They do everything they can to to be behind that. But the majority of them, I'm adopted. And so while my bloodline, I do have a, a history of alcoholism genetically, the family that I grew up with, 
are not really addicts or alcoholics. My mother's side does, but she's never really drank addictively. And so they can understand, but not necessarily at the same level the people in this community do. When you start talking to somebody who has actually walked through the fires and been through addiction and then been through getting sober themselves, it's it, it's like there's a kinship there that just naturally comes between people in recovery. We have this understanding of kind of going through the same battle that really brings that closeness and that vulnerability. And it's it's like no other relationship I've experienced in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also to add to it, I mean, I was, I was doing other things to help. I went to, I did therapy on better health for a little bit, was able to talk about a lot of stuff with that therapist. And then I went to a local one, Dorchester Mental Health, and was able to really talk about a lot of the loss of losing my close ones, which was very difficult. Even talking about it now, it's starting to bring up emotions that uh, before I would never talk about it. Michael was my brother and uh, we looked a lot alike. So whenever I would be with family or, or mutual friends and it's always constantly we're wanting to talk about them, about him and uh, him passing and stuff. And, and it was just like, I couldn't talk about it. I would acknowledge it, but I just, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really say anything. And when people would talk about my mom and stuff and say some nice stuff and I was just like I, I just couldn't talk about it and just so I went to therapy and this great therapist Manifa really bundle of joy super positive and I was able to finally get close, vulnerable enough to where I was able to allow myself to cry and let it out and it felt like it was just this huge weight that I've been keeping inside for so long and it just felt so good to cry and like let it out and I've, I feel like that release of emotions really really benefited a lot and I went to a psychiatrist as well because there I needed some help on on the I guess the chemical side. Went through a freaking gauntlet of antidepressants. It's not a fun time trying to figure out what works with you, but I finally did find one that worked with me that I could tolerate. The side effects weren't too bad, and it, it really started it really started to help out um, when when it when it kicked in. I think I don't think it was like. A lot of people, a lot of stories I read, are like, this is night and day. Oh, my God, it's so much better. It wasn't like that for me, but it, it was noticeably different. It definitely it definitely helped at the time. And I, I told my psychiatrist straight up, I was like, listen, man, I'm not, I'm sober now, but I'm I, these panic attacks, I, I got to get them under control. Like, I need some help until I can get them under control. So he prescribed me some anxiety medicine as well to go along with my, I was on a SNRI, Cymbalta, which was for depression and anxiety so those two really helped me help get me through because at first the first few months yeah I was using using it the full the full amount or whatever and then as time went on I started using less and less I'm off the antidepressants because depression is so much better and every day is not a walk in the park neither is life it's never going to be oh I'm so happy every single day that's not what life is so let's go ahead and get that get that out of your mind that's not what we're shooting for here <laughs> but uh but yeah you get to the point and not everyone some people need to stay on it but for me I felt I was I was in a good enough spot to where I really didn't need them anymore so I came off and yeah like I don't uh, the side effects that came with it went away and I still feel I still feel good. There's some days I'll, I'll be walking around. And I'll just have a smile on my face just because I feel good. And the, the anxiety medication, I'm on the lowest dose of that. And I only take that twice, maybe three times a week, but I barely use that anymore. And little, little by little, and it's, you can't even really notice it because it's just so, so little day by day. 
it gets better and the sleep gets better. I do go through my phases where I don't sleep great, but then I, and then I'll start hitting those, those streaks where I'll get seven, seven, seven and a half hours every night. And at minimum, I'm getting five, five and a half, sometimes six, but it's way better than, than it was And it. And that's something that's improving every day with sobriety as well. So these little things start to stack up and add up the longer you're sober. And it's, and yeah, I mean, I'm eating better. I'm doing intermediate fasting or inter, inter, intermittent fasting. There we go. And yeah, all these elements I'm adding in, into the repertoire into my, into my utility belt to, to, yeah, to better myself, self-improvement meditation as well. Added that into there. I'm doing that for about two weeks. I'm not perfect with it, but I'm, I'm trying to get there to where I'm doing it every day. And, and that helps as well too. And I'm actually going back to therapy. I just, I just saw a therapist or a psychologist the other week and I'm going to start seeing him once a month. Cause you know, my, my thing is like, if you, if you can afford it, or if you've got insurance that helps you out, if you have the ability, why, why not? It's not going to hurt. It's only going to help. So why, why not? Just give it a try. And if you don't like it, you don't, you don't have to keep going or maybe find a different psychologist or therapist. I would say maybe try AA. If you, if it works for you, this freaking fantastic. I got a, a lot of great guys in the community AA is work great for. They they can't say enough good things about it. But if you try it and it's not for you, maybe come over here and try Sober Town and, and Sober Squad. Do some Zoom meetings with us. You don't even have to say anything. You don't even have to show your camera. Just put just listen and then just sit in and see if it vibes with you. See if anything resonates. I would say just try different things and see what works. Podcasts are a huge thing I, I do since I drive a lot for live for for a living. I'm always constantly, when I don't have a passenger in the car, I listen to sobriety podcasts. So I just bought Rewired by Eric, Erica Spiegelman. Spiegelman, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, that's the next up on the agenda. And I've listened to all, almost, all, well, no, not every single Sobertown podcast, but every every person I, I know, I think I've listened to theirs or I'm working on it. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good utilities a lot of good uh, information out there that'll help you help you get get through this thing it's not a it's not an easy it's not an easy thing it took me at least 15 to 20 relapses to finally finally do enough field research or i like to say bang my head on the desk to figure out that desk is hard and and yeah it's totally worth it though it is totally worth it i feel night and day better than than what i used to and my life has changed tremendously like it's crazy how much difference your life can change in such a short amount of time like if you thinking about a year a year is not that long of, of time in the grand grand scheme of things and i mean i'm pretty much thriving right now i got a new car i'm working all the time um you know i got good social life like i said i'm eating better meditating all the good stuff and i just it just feels so much better i can almost break down how happy i am break down in tears because I'm so happy is what I meant that that I've gotten gotten here and I just I hope anyone out there listening who's struggling like it'll be okay there is hope and you can do it and it is worth it it sucks like hell at the beginning but it is so worth it to get through that shit get through the suck because on the other end is is a much better life that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. And I love that in the course of the last 
30, 45 minutes, we've gone from talking about literally feeling suicidal and feeling like there's no hope and and not maybe wanting to take the action yourself, but wishing that that things would just end to, oh my God, life is so much better now and life is worth it now. Like you said, recovery is not a walk in the park. It's it's And this is not to sugarcoat things, but we have all experienced that fear and that hopelessness in active addiction where you feel like there's just no way out of this. And and to be able to get on the other side of that and look back and say, I went from being hopeless to hopeful. And now I am so proud of that and loving that, that I want to be able to share that message to other people who are maybe still hopeless, that I've been where you are and I made it out the other side and you can too. Man, uh, yeah, <laughs> you just you just hit it right on the nail. It feels so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I did this and was able to tell my story. And yeah, I'm just excited. I'm still living one day at a time. I'm not future tripping, but I do have an intent for the future. And I know where I want to guide my life. And I'm excited for what life has in store for me. Because like I say a lot, I spent the last 20, 25 years getting fucked up. Why not spend the rest of of my life not getting fucked up because i know where the getting fucked up part lead there's a lot more to life than getting fucked up partying and having a good time like life is much more fruitful and amazing than than just that so yeah why not give that so everything a try see how it works for you best advice i could offer i love it <laughs> well johnny thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and share your story i i sure think it'll bring uh hope to a lot of people out there who are listening and and looking for looking for maybe their own way out any final thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with uh i would just say oh man what do i what do i want to say there's so much i want to say but i mean the biggest thing is to is to have hope I don't want to sound cliche. It's always darkest before the dawn, yada, yada, yada. But it is true. Like, you got you to gotta have hope with this stuff, no matter how, how bad things are going. And your rock bottom, is, is that's such a, such a buzzword. It's, it's really when you're, as, as I think Derek said it best, or Doug said it best, your rock bottom is when you stop, when you stop digging and you start getting out of that hole. So you would you would have thought my rock bottom would have been would have been severe alcohol withdrawal. No, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. These I don't want to say utilities, but these these tools out there that that can that can give you a chance. Try try it all. Try journaling. Try gratitude lists. Whatever works for you. Whatever you like doing. Stick with it. And uh, yeah, give yourself give yourself a shot. And don't don't ever give up. Do not ever give up whatsoever because you will get it. And be determined. And you you deserve a better life and you will get there. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Johnny. And we'll continue to see you around Sober Town and I Am Sober Community. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> Have a good day. All right. Thanks.